In Acts chapter 2, we've, we've gone through Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. We're, we're just at the end of Acts chapter 2. We, we, we got up to uh, about verse 42, 43 a couple weeks ago. I'm going to start at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 right now. This is right after the, uh, Peter preached the whole first Holy Ghost-empowered message. 3,000 people get saved. The birth of the church is upon us. And I feel like that's significant today because I believe that there's a rebirth of the church of Jesus Christ that needs to take place in this place and across this valley. This, uh, yesterday was a, an event called Azusa Now. If you're familiar with the Azusa Street outpouring in the early 1900s, the Holy Spirit began to fall and there was a beginning of a change of the, of the wind of God, if you will. Um, the Holy Spirit fell in a new way and we need, that, we need that same thing today. We need God to be moving and present in our life. We need the Holy Ghost to be released and He chooses to release Himself in and through His people. So today as we're in, in Acts chapter 2, we've just come, 3,000 people are saved. And it says, in, in, starting in verse 42, it says, These new believers, the, the disciples, all of them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good. They gave it to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God, we thank you for the power that's in your word. God, your word is true. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God, we just thank you that even today it'll pierce us it'll encourage us it'll challenge us god it'll bring us back into right living with you and we thank you in the name of jesus for your word and everyone said amen let me set up what's happening here in the in the new testament here at the beginning of the birth of the church these are jews we're talking about and and what you actually see here is is terms like the believers all the believers were together in one accord now we we know that word we use that word for us all the time we use words like we're christians we're believers we're disciples they're, the term Christian is not even being used yet. They're using the term believers. And what are they believers in? Well, let's put this in context. I think it's important for us to understand who these people are that we're talking to and what has happened in their life. These were Jews. These were godly people. These were God's chosen people. Within the Jewish nation, the Jewish race, there's a number of sects. You know, we've heard about some of them. You had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and you had the Zealots, and you had different groups of Jews. And then you had just the, the ordinary Jews. And that's what most of the, the uh, disciples were And these people, just ordinary Jews They didn't always belong to, to groups But we had Simon, he was actually part of the zealot group the, the Pharisees You know, the Pharisees get always such a bad rap But they were, they were really intent on keeping all the law of God And they were, they were uh, righteous people and, But they lost the way And they started wor- relying more on works The Sadducees In fact, the way if you remember the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees Is the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. They believed in God, they followed God, but they didn't believe that there was an eternal life or a, or a resurrection from the dead. And that's why you call them Sadducees, because without a resurrection, they're Sadducee. Okay? And so they, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and so you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as you're reading the, the New Testament, I want you to remember these things, because what happens, and it's going to happen here in chapter 4 a little bit, is, is that the, the, the problem that the Sadducees had, who were in charge mostly of the Sanhedrin at this point, they didn't believe in a resurrection, 
And yet Jesus rose from the dead, and Peter and all the disciples are preaching about the resurrection from the dead. You get it? They can't have that. Their whole belief system is there is no resurrection from the dead. So we've got Jews. They love God, and they are waiting for the Messiah. The word Messiah in, in, is, is not Savior. It's the anointed one. They were waiting for the anointed one. And there was a lot of things that the Jews needed to have, and still today they are waiting for. They're waiting for someone to come and fulfill all the roles of Messiah. And in history, in fact, about 100 years after Jesus, there was a guy who actually, for the Jews, fulfilled more and looked more like the Messiah than Jesus did. He came in and he started actually conquering going fighting against Rome. And see, one of the things with the Messiah is that he would come and he would establish the reign of King David once again in the natural. And remember, we talked about that at at, um, Palm Sunday, that that they were waiting for Jesus to come and, and set up an earthly kingdom. The Messiah would actually set up an earthly kingdom and usher in the reign of the kings of Israel once again. One of the things, the, the Messiah that he had to accomplish according to Jewish belief and tradition is that he wouldn't die in war. He, we, they weren't looking for a martyr. They were looking for someone who would fulfill and become the king and take them into the new reign of God. And the reason that Jesus didn't fulfill this for the Jews was because he died three years into his ministry before anything happened. He couldn't be the Messiah. They weren't looking for someone to, to be raised from the dead. They were looking for someone, in a sense, in the, in the natural realm to come and lead them into this, this new kingdom of, of God, if you will. The, the, in fact, there's a name for it in Hebrew. Let me see if I can... can uh, it's called Olam Hava. Olam Hava. It's the messianic age or the world to come. So he would usher in this world to come. Now, in this world to come, it sounds a little familiar to us. There's peace. You don't, you don't have to proclaim God in it because everybody knows God. And, and it would be worldwide. And it's really what we are waiting for in the kingdom of heaven is our Olam Haba. So the Jews were waiting for this time. They're looking for the Messiah. When, and, and that's why the disciples and thousands of people were following Jesus because he looked like he might be the Messiah until he died. And that blew it. So then he raises from the dead. And when you read the book of Acts, which I encourage you to be reading along with us, going ahead a couple chapters, rereading it, getting the history, you'll see one of the things that, that Peter keeps preaching. This Jesus, whom you crucified, was raised from the dead. Why? Because Jesus had to raise from the dead. They weren't following a philosophy. They were following the Messiah who had to be alive and usher in. And so Peter's continuous saying, yes, he was crucified, but he lives again. That messed up with the Sadducees. That's one of the reasons they were so upset. There is no resurrection of the dead. And Peter keeps preaching to the Jews, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is, in one, in, in one section there it says, in one of his preachings, he says, he is the Lord and Christ. He is your Lord and and Christ. When you read in the Bible in the New Testament, when you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D with uncapitalized, it simply means master. It's a leader. It's not 
Lord of heaven and earth. It's just a lowercase Lord. It doesn't mean Yahweh. It's just a master. So Peter has said something really important there. When you see L, little O, little R, little D, he is your Lord and Messiah, Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. For a Jew, Messiah meant the anointed one from the king, line of King David. Okay, so, so he says this Jesus is, is not just a leader. So when you see Lord, he, he, they, they were okay with having um, leaders in the natural. They had the Sanhedrin and they had the different leaders within the kingdom. And that was all okay. They weren't saying he was God. He says, yeah, he's a leader. He's a master, but he's also the Christ. It's him. So these Jews, they come, they didn't change their faith. There was no Christianity. They fulfilled their faith. See, when Jesus came and he was the Messiah, they were Jews before and they were Jews after. They didn't stop being Jewish. In fact, it calls them believers. What were they believers in? Not a new religion. See, for us, we say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our belief uh, adopts us to this faith that's called Christianity. So the word believer is really synonymous for us with Christianity. For them, believers simply meant they were believers in Jesus as the Messiah. And what did they do? It says that they, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to everyone as they need, had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Did you see that? They continued. They were doing it before Jesus, and they were doing it afterwards. They continued the same practice. Why? They still believed in the God of the Bible, of the Torah, the Old Testament. They, they believed that, that they just found the Messiah, and the Messiah was Jesus. And so they, they believed in him, and they continued steadfastly meeting in the temple courts. That was a custom that they would do twice a day at 9 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. People would gather together if they were close to the temple. They, would, they didn't have to, but if they were, they would joyfully go and pray, Jews and believers in Christ alike. And so the believers in Christ said, we found the Messiah, but they continued to go to the temple courts to pray. But we find some other things um, in this passage, and what we want to talk about this morning is a little bit about these believers, and um, one of the things that, that Peter said in there, he says that you would be saved. Even in the, in the last verse, verse 47, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we want to talk about what the salvation is. We want to talk about um, the faith that, that the Jews had and how it was in, they became believers in Jesus, but they kept their Jewish faith. You know, that means that, that they, they continued to worship in the temple. They probably continued to hear teachings from the Old Testament in the temple. They would probably attend synagogue wherever they lived, but they believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They probably did not continue in the sacrifices at the temple because they did believe that Jesus Christ now came to fulfill that sacrificial law. They continued to not eat bacon. You know, you know, they, no bacon before, no bacon afterwards. That's why I'm glad I'm a Gentile. But so a lot of the things they just kept doing, probably the, the, the biggest thing that they stopped was going to the sacrifice of the lamb for their sins. And this is what, what was important for us to understand about them. And then we're going to tie this in on, on us, the whole thing. And, and how does this uh, speak to us this morning? But 
when, they, when he said saved, we, we use the, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, in fact, even if you're not a Christian this morning, you may have heard Christians talk about this thing. You know, believe on the Lord and you'll be saved. And we use the word saved. Are you saved? Yes, I'm saved and saved. And say, what are we saved from? What were they saved from? Did they really believe as Jews that they were going to hell? I don't think that they believed that. But what, because every year they would sacrifice this lamb to carry their sin problem over one more year. See, the, the sacrifice of the lamb for the Jews never forgave them of their sins. It never cleansed their sins. It never wiped out their sins. It only covered their sin till next year. It's like some, uh, some people, maybe even in this room, who have an interest-only loan. You know, and every couple of years it comes back up for renewal. And you go, well, let's just keep pushing it back out there. I'm not going to pay the debt. I'm just going to keep making my interest-only payments. And the next year I'm just going to keep carrying this loan over until I don't know when. Right? That's, that's, that, that, that's the problem. With some, is We don't know when we're actually ever going to pay the debt. And that's what the Jews were doing, going, I can't pay the debt of my sin. I'm going to carry it over till next year. And then one day, somehow, this debt has to be paid for. When Jesus Christ came, he says, you, you, no more interest-only loans. I'm making a balloon payment right now. The debt is paid. If I walked up to you today and said, how much do you owe on your house? And you told me the number, and I said, I'm going to make a balloon payment for you. You would probably say, hallelujah, I'm saved. Saved from debt, saved from the burden. That's what Jesus did. He says, no more are we going to carry that debt over. He uses words in the New Testament that we don't find in the Old Testament. He says that your sins are wiped away. Your sins are forgiven. In fact, it says, repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be preached. In Luke chapter 24, remember, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. Okay? In Luke chapter 24, Jesus is speaking here, and he's prophesying, and he's declaring to the disciples, and he says that repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be preached starting in Jerusalem. And in the book of Acts, we see this happening. Jesus has died, and they begin to teach and preach this message. Salvation in Jesus, forgiveness of sins, and repentance repentance now repentance is what was being being um taught by john even in the early days um john was baptizing in the jordan remember what his his uh his thing was repent repent turn from wicked ways be baptized repent for the kingdom of god is near repentance was the message being taught and now see what it's important to understand what repentance means it means to change your thinking to change your thinking See, we, 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 some of us have, been, have a false understanding. Now, in the Old Testament, when you see the word repent in the Old Testament, it means to return. Remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, mostly in Hebrew. The New Testament was, was Aramaic and Greek. Um, the Old Testament word that we translate as repent means return, but the New Testament word for repent means change your thinking, change your knowing. So when, it, when, the, when you hear the word repent, it's not just stop doing things. It's change your thinking about what you're doing. Who's ever tried to diet? You know what? One of the reasons it doesn't work is because you actually didn't change your thinking about food. 
and about health. You just tried to stop eating certain things. You just tried to change behaviors. It doesn't work. Until you change your thinking and your knowledge and actually line up with truth, nothing works. The same thing with salvation. It's not about stopping doing naughty things. It's about understanding the God who created us and agreeing with him that what we're doing is not the way he wants us to live. And it's changing your thinking. In Isaiah chapter 30, it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Jesus, John the Baptist, and Peter, they're all declaring the same things, repent. In fact, when Peter's preaching his message to the, to the first crowd and then all the crowds after that, it says that, that they, Peter has preached a message, and honestly, it wasn't that good of a message. If you go read it, I mean, imagine just read it. Go, next time, go back to chapter 2 and read the message and picture somebody preaching to thousands of people. It's like, okay, it's kind of simple. It's not flashy. Where, you know, nowadays you have to be, be flashy in order to preach a message at church. And he preaches this message and he's talking about, he's tying a lot of things from the Old Testament because remember, they're Jews. And he says it was this Jesus who was crucified and he, you know, he, he, he is this, the, the Messiah. And it says that they were cut to the heart. They, they received the message. They were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? Brother, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, this is the difference from their Judaism to their belief in the Messiah. He said, change your thinking about a lot, and we'll get, talk about some of these things that they had to change your thinking about. Change your thinking about who the Messiah is is important. And then be baptized. Well, they, they were familiar to a degree with baptism. Back in the days of, of Jesus, in the early times, there was a couple of different baptisms that they, they would use. One was a proselyte baptism that they would use. If you were going to change your faith, they would actually baptize you into the new religion. So they were familiar with that. John was baptizing, and it wasn't... Um, it wasn't a sprinkling. It was, an, uh, we believe it was an immersion because the word itself means immersed. But in addition, it says one day that John was baptizing and Jesus was baptizing. They were both baptizing in the air because there was a lot of water. Well, you don't need a lot of water to sprinkle people, so it's pretty, they were being dunked. And both John and Jesus were, were baptizing in the same place. So being baptized, but the Jews understood. They even had ceremonial baths. They understood about water cleansing you. So it was touching the things that they already knew. When you were baptized, you were being cleansed. You were being uh, put into Christ and cleansed, and you would come up um, different. The the word baptism itself would be the same word you would use if you were going to dye a garment. And I've said this before, so some of you just don't fall asleep in this quick path. It's always hard to wake you guys up. Um, you know, you'd dye a garment, you would baptize it, you would immerse it in the water, it would come up and it would be changed. See, baptism is about cleansing and change and being fully immersed. But he says, be baptized. Okay, that's fine. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh-uh, I'm a Jew. I can't be baptized in the name of a person unless that person is God, unless he's the, the Messiah, the Savior. It was identifying that my new life is I'm a believer in Messiah. Not just in, I found my Messiah. I still believe in the one true God, the one true God of the Bible. But I found my Messiah. And so they were told to repent and be baptized 
and to follow the Lord. Well, as we go further in the New Testament, we see that in repentance, it's not just a, a, a one-time act or this thing that we say, okay, God, forgive me of my sin. So repentance doesn't mean to pray a prayer. You know, I confess my sins and forgive me and I want to live in heaven forever and come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not repentance. That's a prayer. In fact, it's an empty prayer without repentance. The repentance part is so important and, and repentance will last in your lifetime and you will find times that you need to repent again, not because you did a boo-boo, but because you've allowed your thinking to change again. You've allowed your thinking to get back into the world and we need to change our thinking and line up with the God of gods, the king of the universe. In fact, um, it says in Matthew chapter 3, Uh, He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Acts chapter 26, it says, they should repent and turn to God. See, that's why it's it's two words. So a lot of people think that that they say that repent means just do a a 180. Well, that, that means turning in itself. But here it says, repent and turn to God. Change your thinking, turn to God. Repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. If you want to look that one up, highlight that one, Acts chapter 26, 20. Prove your repentance by your deeds. Is your repentance, if you've called on the name of Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to say, save me from my ways, to save me from my thinking and my sin because we need a Savior, then your deeds should prove your repentance. That's what he calls us to. He doesn't call us to warm seats in a, in a building once a week. He calls us to be his disciples who show their repentant lifestyle in their actions, in their deeds. And this is what the Jews, this is what they did. And so we find these, these Jews. Now, you know, we talk about how tough times are now. And I, I tell you, I got a little video I'm going to show next week about that. But, you know, these times aren't very tough. We are still the most pampered, spoiled babies on this earth. We're living on such a time that we have so much more than we've ever thought of. And we're all freaking out because what we have might be hurt and taken away a little bit. You know, the time of Jesus probably wasn't very good. One thing just, the, you know, is they didn't have flushing toilets. I mean, that's enough to not make life good. But think about how they lived. They were under persecution. Life was not good. There was a lot of reason to be moaning and... And they come to faith in Christ and it's like they have joy. And things begin to change. Now, I don't know what they looked like the day before. I wish I did. But I think something changed in their lives, in their hearts. When we read this Acts chapter 2 at the end here, it's okay, so let, let's, let's go through this again. If you're there, Acts chapter 2, it said they, de- they were devoting to teaching and fellowship and breaking in bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Well, 3,000 years of waiting for the Messiah, there's a lot to be awe about. Many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I love this. It says, all the believers were together and have everything in common. I have a feeling that wasn't happening the day before. They were living for themselves. They, I'm not saying that they never helped out a stranger because the Bible even talked about doing that. But, but they, they spoke this and I think something cha- was beginning to change in their hearts. They began to, we're going to go in chapter 5, especially 4 and 5. They're selling lands and doing things, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Um, I, I believe that one of the things happening there is that they're, they're wanting to show their faith and their repentance by their deeds and saying, I will not be held by my stuff. 
I'm going to open my hands and, and let God use my stuff. I'm going to show to God that I am, I am changed. And so they began to just live in a, in a new way. Verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, which they had already done. But I think this is something new. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They, they took their faith, which was, in a sense, mandated. I mean, everyone was supposed to do these things, and they were taking their faith that was the ritualistic to some degree, whether they believed or not. You know, there's, there's people who don't believe their faith. They just do it. And they were doing these things, but now they're adding these things. And so they began to eat together and break bread with glad and sincere hearts. Something changed in their lives. And they're beginning to experience a new faith, a new found faith in their God. And it says, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had a changed life, changed hearts. Finally, their Messiah was there. But again, they didn't find a new religion. It's like their hope was renewed. Their belief was solidified. Church, we probably often don't look much different than the Jews before they had Jesus. You know, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, it's real easy to just be going through the motions. Continue to go to church on Sundays. Maybe even have a devotion here and there. But we need to have that renewed faith and passion for God that changes us, that reignites a fire in our lives that would say, yesterday you were doing some of these things, but these are, this has changed. There's something new in your life. What's the difference? My hope has been renewed in Jesus. When we wait for so long without his coming, we can get discouraged. When we're walking on the earth, that's the danger of always saying, he's coming tomorrow, he's coming tomorrow, because when he doesn't come tomorrow we get discouraged. That's the danger of, of the hyper-faith movement that says you're going to be healed, you're going to be healed, you're going to be healed, and then you're not healed. Discouragement comes. But we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus that there is a day coming, there is a time coming that he is going to usher us into the kingdom, the final reign of God, but it might be a while before we get there. But to renew that hope, renew that passion, renew that life that says, I once was lost and he saved me from that. And I put my trust and faith in him and I want to continue to do that. To be ones who would cry out to him and say, God, don't let my heart get cold in this cold world. See, we live in a world that's really trying to pull us down out of the things of God. And we've got so many Christians, and myself included at times, all of us can include ourselves, I'm sure, in this thing where we just get blah, and we're under the weight of the world, and we're just going through the motions, and we need a renewal and a fire to happen. And it's not going to be found on Netflix or Hulu or all the other things that are taking our time. It's not going to be found in our houses or in our cars or in our job or in our children or our successes, it's only going to be found in Him. And we need to repent and change our thinking and press into the God of gods and the King of kings and this Jesus who we already believe in. This morning, I believe I'm primarily speaking to believers who once in their life called out to Jesus to save them from their sin, whether it was 20 years ago or one week ago. When we called out to Jesus, we're saved 
And we need to get that freshness of passion back for him. We believe in him, but have we gotten cold and allowed the things of the world to just inundate us? And the only thing that separates us from the world is that on Sundays we're busy. We go to church. But every other night of the week, you might find us doing all the same things that the world does. Being is just as discouraged and depressed is, is, is what the world does. You know what's really sad to me? is when somebody who doesn't believe encourages a Christian. Not because it makes them bad. It's like, we should be the ones who have so much hope and faith and joy in this world that we're the ones bringing life to the situation. Now, it doesn't mean you can never be down. That's not, don't, but, uh, we shouldn't be a bunch of Christian Eeyores. I'm a Christian. Thanks for noticing. But God reignite a a passion. It's not just a make-believe, but something that reconnects us with the joy of our salvation to where we find ourselves breaking bread with other Christians. Why? Because we're so excited that we found our Messiah. We know who He is. And that it causes us to live differently. That in repentance we bear fruit. And also it causes us to share our faith. So there's another part here at the end. It says... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What were they being saved from? They were being saved from their sin. Yes, they were being saved. In fact, he says, be saved from this corrupt or crooked generation is the word that Peter uses. Be saved from this crooked generation. Church, we need to be saved from this crooked generation. This generation is telling us what straight looks like. And they're wrong. We need to be saved from this crooked generation and understand who God is and what he says. We need to step away from the, the, the ways of the world and things that are being said and preached there. And, and, and we're feeling bad if we have any contrary thoughts. And, well, I just feel bad because I said something and it might have hurt their feelings. And so that makes me so bad. And I just can't say anything that would ever hurt anybody's feelings because that's just so wrong. And I'm bad. And I'm a, I'm a hater. I have so much hate speech and hate in my life. We're feeling that way. No, we'll be saved from this crooked generation because Jesus has the words of life. Jesus has the words of life, not the world. And we need to continue to proclaim the world. Now, how are those being saved daily? Because the believers, we'll call them believers now, they're not Christians yet. The believers were doing all these things, including telling all of their friends and family, I found Messiah. You know the one we've been waiting for? I found him. It's Jesus. All of them, they weren't just being saved because Peter preaching. They were being saved because people were beginning to tell their family and their friends that I found the one they've been waiting for. Do you know that every person you know is waiting for God? Because I believe that there's a God hole, a God-shaped hole in every heart. They don't know what they're waiting for. They think they're waiting for a raise. They think they're waiting for a girlfriend or a boyfriend or both. And they, they think all these crazy things in the world today. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And you can go up to them and say, I found what you're waiting for. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. He came to be your Savior. He came to give you a new life. He came to give us a new name that represents what he sees us as. In heaven, we're going to get a new name. I, don't, I wonder what my name's going to be. I met, I, well, not, I met her a long time ago. I was talking to a girl this morning, and, and she says that, that her nickname is Chocolate Thunder. <laughs> Chocolate Thunder. I like that. 
what kind of name will you get in heaven? You know, I mean, people can come up with some really cool names for you today. God's got a name that matches what he sees in you and your character that he's putting inside of you. Be saved from this world. Repent. We found our Messiah, the anointed one. And thank God he didn't just come to give us political salvation, national salvation. You know, we're in the midst of this election and, and all eyes are on, on Washington. <laughs> I'm not going to say any names, but I... So I'm going to th- throw all the big ones in there. You know, you got, you got Trump and, and, and Clinton and Sanders are all on a boat stranded in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Who survives? America. America. <laughs> We're looking to the wrong things to be our salvation. That's not going to save us from anything. In fact, the greatest revivals in the church have happened under the most persecution. The church grew as Israel was under the the rule of Rome and in 70 AD comes in and destroys Jerusalem and puts the Christians fleeing for their life and it grows under persecution. We should not be cowering and going, woe is me, the minimum wage is going to get raised to $15 an hour and the sky is going to fall and kill us all. We should be going, my God is greater. My God is Savior. Hallelujah. That's, that's who we are. We're Christians. And our faith is not in any system, anything in this place. It has to be on Him. And when we come back and we begin to spend that fresh time with Him, looking to Him and helping, praying out, God, help me to stop criticizing, complaining, and to just know you, know your love and your salvation afresh, then we'll become like these early disciples who began to just eat together and with joy and gladness of heart we share with one another and we preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And daily, people will be saved because there's something to hope in besides this world. There's something that, that far surpasses anything. There's a world to come that Jesus prepared a way to get. And I, as we read the book of Acts, we're going we're gonna to highlight these things. They didn't even understand what they're being saved from yet. I mean, this is the birth of the church. The doctrine and understanding gets revealed through time into really what Jesus came to do. They're just barely beginning to, to scratch the surface. I don't think that they too, totally even understood yet that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. I think it took some time. You know, it never happened to you? And it's like, oh, I get it. I mean, Jesus had just died. It wasn't that long. Peter doesn't even talk about Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, but we find it later. They're just in the infancy of their relationship with God, and that's okay for us to be in. If you're in your infancy of your relationship with God, that's a wonderful place to be. Put your faith in Him and start this amazing journey. We have the sign out in the, hall, in the hallway. We're just all growing one step closer to Jesus. Revelation happens, and revelation continues to happen. We're like, God, thank you. But don't let yourself slide back into the corruption of the world, but let us all be a church that would repent and change our thinking, agree with God, even if that means we're going to look weird. If your biggest concern is that your friends who don't know Jesus might think you're weird, then that, that, that's an easy one. You're weird. <laughs> Accept it, move on, and come out of the world. Be changed. Be transformed. 
Look at the things that you're, you're holding on to and say, God, what do you think about this? And be obedient to him. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. A changed mind that leads to a changed action. Amen? Repentance was, if you look at the first few sermons, it had nothing to do with ooey-gooey feelings. It was, that's truth, and I need to change. I need to agree with it. Period. Heavenly Father, you've given us your word to know you better to understand who you are, to to understand why you came to this earth. God, I thank you for the revelation that you've given through your word. Father, this morning, even in the the Acts chapter 2, we see your, your call to us to be like the early church, to be saved from this crooked generation, to repent to call on you, to be like the early disciples who who received your word gladly and let it change our lives today. But God, some of us in here, we need an encouragement, God. We need a, a daily reminder. We need an hourly reminder. We need to know your love more intimately. God, I pray for every one of us in here, God, that, that, that what's even uh, coming uh, in my life, and, and I don't even know what happened this morning, but God, that, that a revival of sorts, of a refreshing of who you are would sweep through this, this small body of believers in this valley right here. God, you would cause us to know you deeper and to follow you more wholeheartedly and to be saved and come out of the world. And God, that we would then be world, we would be world changers, God. And if that's too big for us, God, help us to be valley changers first. And change this valley. Thank you, God. Father, we're going we're gonna to start with our giving to you um, in this moment, cause, uh, in, in our giving of our offerings and tithes. Father, even as, as the disciples, they said they just, everything they had, they sold and they, whoever had need. So Father, God, in, in a, even just a first act of obedience, because I forgot to take the offering earlier, we're going to give it in the offering right now. And, and God, this might be a challenging moment for some of us who you're, medall- you're, you're dealing with, you're meddling with, God. But we would pray that we, as we give it to the offering, Lord, that, that this is the same thing we've been praying. We pray it every Sunday, God, that the kingdom of God is established. Lord, we ask for your reign and your rule to come and be prominent in our lives in this place, God, in this valley. God, that the name of Jesus is lifted up, God, and we would see more people coming to salvation. God, I, I pray that we would, be, we would see daily added to the number. God, in baptisms and disciples being made and lives being changed and set free. God, as we give into the offering and as we thank you for this whole service, Lord, we, we uh, just trust you um, to continue to meet all of our needs physically and spiritually and emotionally, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.